This is the MLW Radio Network. It's time to start your day the right way with front row material. Starring ECW legends Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whitbrick. Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freeland. I didn't mean to catch you at the wrong time the other day on the phone. <laughs> well, that was just a bonus for you. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was a moment that I had never expected ever to happen. You were completely transparent. I mean, in a moment where you could have completely lied to me and said, "Hey, I'm on the other line," you know, <laughs> got work on the other line. I got this going on. Pam's calling me. You could have said anything. No. What does my good buddy Jerry Lynn tell me? The absolute truth and. Uh, you are amazing, my friend. <laughs> wow. Now, I just want to let you know you are going to get a receipt for that, so the next time oh. you call me... No, I'm that, was a, that was a receipt for the bubble bath. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Touche. And it was unplanned, too. I bet it was unplanned. Yeah, yeah it was like all the planets aligned. Well, you know when they say um, your ears must be burning because someone's thinking about you or whatever like that? Mm-hmm. Was there any part of your body that was burning or tingling? Because did you have an idea that I might be calling? If there was, I better go get a shot of penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. But it's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. I know. Two weeks. Man, two weeks. People have been talking about where in the hell Jerry Lynn is. And you've been uh, you've been busy making wrestling magic. And uh, kudos, like I called you the other night uh, after the pay-per-view. Awesome job. You guys did a wonderful job. Great show. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, they did a great job. Yeah. That uh, that stampede, uh, whatever the hell it was called, was uh, that was insane. Stampede. Yes, that was insane. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yep, but it was fun. It was very entertaining. Absolutely it was. Yep. Who was making all the damn noise? Is that uh, me, me and Pam and Annabelle? Oh, okay. I thought that was Mikey. Mikey, are you here? He's not here. I guess he's not. Well, you know what? Let him wait. Let he him wait. He likes to be fashionably late. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably pounding out his chicken right now. <laughs> TMI. That, TMI. The, yeah, that that's not a uh, an innuendo. Literally, last week. Um, I'm talking to Mikey, and I'm hearing a lot of strange sounds happening. And I said, what, what's going on at your house? And he's like, I'm making chicken parm. And it's like 11 <laughs> o'clock at night. The, the man's going galloping gourmet on my ass while we're trying to put a show together here. And I'm thinking, oh, God. I got I got Jacques Papel as my co-host here. <laughs> Holy shit. Man. So how's your back? How's your back feeling? I know we were talking about that a couple weeks ago. It's better. The doc worked on me a few times while I was at work, and then nice. But man, the 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 plane ride down really put me in a world of hurt because none of them airline seats have any lower lumbar support. Was the flight and the landscaping too? You know, that put a world of hurt on me. Oh, you said, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you said manscaping for a second. No. You said landscaping, <laughs> okay. You said, would have put a world of hurt on you. I thought, uh, you know, ticking them balls, that can happen. That um, if I lost all my flexibility, yeah. Holy sh... Did I... <laughs> not to change... The, God. Did I, did I ever tell you I tried to straight razor my, uh, my nuts one time? And literally, like, oh, I was right... Hang on, I gotta go to the other room. I, I couldn't imagine... 
you didn't like nick yourself did you oh it was worse than that oh my I, god i literally i don't know what had happened but it it was just it wouldn't stop well yeah there's you know it's I mean, a lot of uh arterial you know stuff down there are you Arteries, are you capillaries are you going, you are you going gorilla monsoon on me with your uh your your medical yeah, right. thing <laughs> that's you where i learned half of that. your capillaries or something yes. i don't know <laughs> uh something about your occipital protuberance yes there you go aka the bump on the back of your head no yes. i i went ahead and i nicked myself and it bled and here's the thing about that you know i'm no robert fuller by any means but uh, you see, you're thinking there's probably not a whole lot of blood, you know, in that. Oh, there was, man. Well, that's like I have one of those little trimmers for like your ear, ears right. or whatever. Right. Because, you know, God shows he has a sense of humor because when you get older, your hair crawls inside your head and then shoots that's out everywhere else. Yes. But before that, I didn't, you know, when I first realized, oh, my God, I have to shave my ears now. I tried it with a razor and I nicked my ear. There has to be an artery that goes straight from your heart right to your ear. It bled <laughs> so much. This is true. I, I bet there is. I it bet was crazy. there is. Yeah. My crotch and your ear were probably going, woo, woo. <laughs> it was the crimson mask. I'll tell That's you that. right. The crimson mask. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to look up all the, uh, all the, uh, gorilla monsoon isms here, but I feel like I went to med school when I would hear him talk. I was just like, Oh yeah. Holy cow. So I saw your landscape and it looked good. Thank you. Thank you. We've been working on that for the last, I would say, last couple of weeks. So a lot of work, isn't it? It's a, oh my God. And I mean, you, you even did a ton more than I did. And we both, Megan and I would, would come back into the house after we were done and we were just literally exhausted. Oh yeah. I'd have like, to take a hot shower or a hot bath and Epsom salts and you name it. Yeah, that's where that hot tub that you want to get would definitely come into play. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but that's probably a, a few years down the road. Well, what could you do in the meantime? Well, we do have a jet tub in the bath, in the master bath, so I'd do that. Oh, well, hell, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, so I wouldn't it'd be mind. nice to have a hot tub out in the backyard. And I agree. Be able to look up at the stars and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drinking a little bit of the bubbly. Yep. <laughs> try to seduce the wife. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to try. You are. You are suave. You're slick. I have no game. Oh uh, come on. No, I'm. Even the wife says you're never romantic. You're always silly. It's like, well, I don't feel sexy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't feel sexy. Yeah, I don't look in the mirror and go, oh yeah, you're Rico Suave. No. Wait, I mean, but but let's be honest here. I mean, you're you're what? You're 54 years old. Is that correct? No. And on June 12th, I will be 57. 57. Okay, so I was off by a little bit. You you still keep yourself in really good shape. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's it's a it's still a work in progress. Now it's more or less preventive preventive maintenance. Well. I was thinking about this, and this may this may work out. I think you and Billy Gunn need to uh, go up to the tag titles. Mm-mm. I'm just saying, you no, never. Let, let, 
let him and his son Austin do it. Is he not a spitting image of his father? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And they make a good tag team. The gun yes. Club, so. How cool is that though to be a father and then obviously have your son, you know, in the same business with you? Yeah, that that's got to be a cool moment for both of them. You know what I mean? I would imagine. Yeah, and then they have tag together, so yeah, that would be cool. Nice. Okay, you're back in your coffin right now? Yeah, but I was going to go out there and I was going to make something to eat quick while we're talking because I haven't had supper yet. Oh, well, by all means, you know, Mikey makes a fucking pot roast. That's right. Uh, he did the chicken parm. He yeah, he does that with his chicken during the, well, during the broadcast. Well, I guess, you know what? It's better than choking his chicken. That, well, this is true. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. So, so what would be on the menu tonight for you if you were oh, to? Probably uh, some, like uh, from Publix, we get the boar's head salsalita turkey Ooh. on a bagel. On like an everything bagel. Nice. With some uh, a slice of provolone. Mm. Sometimes now, I'll throw some uh, vegetable cream cheese on there. It's good stuff. Now, the everything bagel. My wife likes the everything bagel. That's that's the one that's got like all the seeds and all the seasonings, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Wasn't sure about that, but interesting. I can't do the everything bagel. I'll why? be honest with you. I can't. I don't know why. There's little, the little, um, uh, what are the little black seeds? They, uh, uh, they're not are they black. poppy seeds or? Yes, probably poppy seeds. The poppy seeds, I feel like they get stuck in my teeth. Well, and then the sesame seeds, don't they? The sesame seeds do as well. And it's yep. like they get caught under my bridge and I'm like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So you sound like an old guy sucking his teeth at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. This is true. I find I, I catch myself <laughs> realizing that, oh, my God, what I just said probably constitutes is me being a senior. <laughs> it does. And I'm in my 30s. So, well, welcome to the club. Annabelle's always got to tell me you're the elderly. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's brutal. Brutal. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Between her and Pam, they keep me humble. I'll tell you. They keep you humble? Oh, yeah. They break your back and then humble you. Well, let's not go that far. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> I just I just teched uh, Mr. Nonballs, and uh, I don't know what his deal is. Oh, maybe he's yeah. not in it. I don't know. It looked like... I don't know what, what the hell's he huh. doing. I don't know. I just texted him. I said, we're ready to roll here. I mean, I don't know what you're doing. So I, I have a very interesting topic I'd like to talk about this week with both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Galloping Gourmet finally arrives. I want to talk about Sandman, also known as James Fullington. Yo! The more I read about him, I would love to have him as a neighbor. Oh. I just feel like he would be somebody you could sit there and like he could just tell you stories for hours. Well, that or he's one of the biggest sports fans I've ever met. So you'd be probably watching a lot of ball games, golf, you name it. Yeah, yeah. I'm down with that. sports, so. Nice. So we'll be talking about the Sandman and his time in wrestling, specifically in ECW, and hold on a second. Is he beeping? No, he's not beeping, but I'm going to call, I'm going to call, I'm going to call his Italian eating food ass right now. Get Olive Garden on the phone here. Let's see. Your call has been forwarded. 
has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging huh? system. He sent me straight to voicemail. Is he no selling us? He is. He's definitely. Oh boy. He's I giving me the one knuckle shuffle. When I'm hungry and I'm a fat guy, I just like to go ahead and eat something. I mean, I, I mean, we uh, we grilled out hot dogs over the campfire the other night in the backyard, Ooh, and, and my wow. hot dog fell on the ground. I literally picked it back up, wiped it off my jeans, and was about to eat it. Is there still a five-second rule? For me, it could be a five-minute rule. I could go in, take a piss, and come back out, and I'll still eat the damn thing. Rule. I don't care. I'd have it half-devoured by then. Well, listen. You don't get to be my size and live as long as I have so far. I'm sure that I've eaten some things that probably could have done some damage to me. But a hot dog in the backyard, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I want to get this ball rolling here, and he's, uh... Well, we're probably just about halfway done now, aren't we? We are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's 924. I mean... Yeah, well... We're about 15 minutes away from a close. Yep, yep. Oh, jeez. Hold on. I'm going to try this one more time, see if he sends right. me to voicemail. Can you hear that? Yeah, well, I can hear it. All right. Your call has been forwarded to... Oh, my God. Yep, he's no selling us. He's off tonight. He just... Oh, my God. Right? I guess so. I mean, I don't know what uh, what his deal is here. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Should we do an open? We're, we're losing him, Doctor. <laughs> we're losing him. At least it wasn't a flat line. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah. All right. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I am joined by the two ECW legends, Mr. Mikey Whipwreck and Mr. Jerry Lynn. Mikey, right now, I'm not exactly sure where he is. Uh, but Jerry's here with me right now. Jerry, it's good to hear your voice. How you been, buddy? I'm great. How you been? You know what? I'm excellent. Doing very well. Hang on, she's having me try something. What is it? Fresh mango salsa. Oh. It's all fresh. On, a... On what? Oh. Okay. She just gave me fresh mango salsa on a sweet potato chip. You know, I'm trying to watch my caloric intake right now. I'm drinking a bottle of water. You just gave me the play-by-play. Your what? Your wife giving you something. Your daughter's making something that sounds delicious. You're eating. This is the. Uh, I'm gonna fall off the wagon after we get done recording. I'm gonna devour like eight Hershey bars because of this. Well, normally I don't eat this late, but just lost track of time today and then forgot mm-hmm. to eat supper. No, that's fine. I can smell your breath through my microphone. It smells that delicious. Really? It does. It does. That, turn, that turns me on. Oh, you know, no. It's oh, not no. perfume. It's the scent of garlic with a hint uh, of mesquite. That, that yeah. turns you on. It turns me on, my friend. So what do you have to feed Megan, though, to get that breath then? Oh, God. You have no idea, my friend. All I'm going to tell you is a wet rub is involved. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. Uh, a hot, spicy Chipotle rub. Oh, uh, Jeez, stop that. My left leg is jumping right now. Oh, no, stop. Oh, I shouldn't God. even encourage you. Have Have you ever gone into, um, it's not a Frederick's of Hollywood, but it's, uh, oh, what is the name of this store? They have, they have them all over the place. Um, Hustler Hollywood. Uh, oh, Victoria's Secret. No, not that one. Maybe it is Hustler. Megan, 
Megan. <laughs> she would know, huh? What's, Is that the, name what you're of that, what's the name of that, that porno store that's up by the uh, up by the flea market? What's that called? Frank's. <laughs> I don't know. Frank's. <laughs> Frank's fetish store. It's not Frank's fetish. Hustler of Hollywood. Okay. So we've gone up there before, and you want to have some fun. Go up there and ask them just some of the most weirdest things in the world. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, I can only imagine what you asked them, though. Oh, I love it. Love and it. And they, they were probably asked. real questions you really wanted to know. They were. They were. They had, <laughs> they had a sale on prostate ticklers, and uh, I was oh, like, no. well, oh. is there like a 30-day refund here if it doesn't work? Or does this, does this have a snake attachment if it needs to go a little further? Uh, oh, Lord. They have those different body uh, lubes and, and rubs that you know you oh, can use. No. I asked him one time. I said, you got mesquite? And, Are you uh, serious? Oh, I did. I've asked I've asked him if they've had honey barbecue. And, oh, my yeah, gosh. Because you know that those those types of you know body, you lick off each other. You know, like wild cherry, banana, all that kind of stuff. Well, that kind of flavor is when you just go to the grocery store. I mean, I guess I technically could. You mean like Hershey and like honey and like, all that kind know, of stuff? Or that or with you, like a bottle of barbecue sauce, apparently. But what, what woman is going to allow you to fucking pour Casey Masterpiece on her and have a good time? Like, that's not going to happen. Well, you Especially, made it sound like that is very possible. Well, you know what? Whether there will, there's a way, my friend. <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> this well, is a partnership of up. love. Oh, you should Lord. never give up. You should no. never give up. Nope. But I'm hypoglycemic, so if I try any of their uh, their edible lubes, I'm I'm about to probably go into some type of sugar shock or something. Oh boy! Or look like you've been stung by a hundred bees. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And God knows I need to look a little more puffy. So. <laughs> Do you yeah. watch Ninety Day Fiance? Do I watch Ninety Day Fiance? Yeah. I, I cannot say I've ever watched that. Oh, you have to start watching that. Give me the premise. What's going on here? It's like people who meet each other online from different countries okay and then they go to meet each other for the first time in person right and then they you know to see if things will work out or whatever and then they gotta i guess go through getting a uh, marriage visa or whatever you would call it or something like that okay and I, I i don't know if they when they go and meet them if they have 90 days to get married before they have to split apart because i think it takes like months to get this visa or whatever <clears throat> or you know or whatever to work on getting the green card ultimately but it's insane the show i pam got me hooked on this it's crazy so you are now officially a big fan of this oh yeah what channel is this on i think bravo i can't remember exactly because she's she records it and then we watch it but, interesting yeah, we'll DVR it, but it is oh, these so, are amazing. So they meet each other, and then from the time they meet, I they've got they, ninety days to seal the deal. I think I'm not sure exactly, I, but just them, just and some of these people, like one, uh, who the heck was it? It was oh, this guy. I think his name's Dave. He's been chatting online with this woman named Lana in the Ukraine for seven years and sending her money and gifts and stuff. And I think he had already gone over there like two or three times to meet her, and she no-shows him every time. Wow, that's and not so good. everyone thinks, well, you're just being, what's the word, catfished or, or just con yeah, out of your yeah. money, you know. 
And uh, gosh, I, I could go on and on, but I don't want to tell you. But it, it is so good. Do you tell anybody else in AEW that you watch 90 Day Fiance? I may have. I don't know. And there's this guy named Ed. <laughs> I think he's in his 50s. He's a short guy. He's like four foot ten or something. So, so he know. looks like Danny DeVito. Yeah. And he and he's fall and all these people have fallen in love, you know, and they've never even met each other. And he's been talking to some 23 year old girl in the Philippines. And so he flew down there to meet her. And right away, she says, you lied about your height or something like that. I don't know. And, and then the guy, it looks like he's got no neck. You know, he's so and he's kind of, you know, he's a little overweight, but he's, he looks like he's got no neck. That actually is a medical condition. Well, I thought, is it because he's overweight or what? No, I'm a fat guy and and I still have a a neck. Um, Let me let me find out. That is a real medical condition. Because now I feel bad because I started calling him no neck Nick. Oh my God, (laughs) you're giving these people nicknames. Well, that was from some old old comedian shtick. I heard it before, but I, I just it just popped in my head the minute I saw him. Ed, that's no neck Nick. Oh gosh! But uh, okay. Here, here we go. Medical condition when someone has no neck. Well, I'm uh, sure he's got a neck, but it's. I mean, well, it doesn't look. It looks like he's probably some. He's got the neck the size of a college football player. Like it goes head to shoulders. That's it. So it's called, and I don't know if I'm calling this right. So somebody can correct me if uh, I say this wrong. But I think it's the way you read it is Clippy Feel Syndrome. Clapel feel syndrome, it's also known as KFS, not to be confused with KFC, uh, is a congenital bone condition in which at least two cervical vertebrae remain fused and immobile. Some condition signs may include a visibly short neck, low hairline behind the head, and may appear to be Neanderthalic. Interesting. Oh. I added the last part. but I've never heard of that. Yeah, no, I'm going to have to uh, send you some pictures of some of these people. No, is that Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. What? This is, this guy, I did see this guy on a commercial, the the Big Ed. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and he has a, yes. um, Yeah. Boy, she's a looker. This is the girl in the Philippines? Mm Mm-hmm. Holy hell. Anyway, you got to watch it. You got to watch, I mean, I I can't, there might be three or four seasons. Okay. Pam and I binged watch two of them, and then we were in the. This one's almost over with. They're, and at the end of each season, they have the tell all, where if they're sometimes they're together in the studio or else they got to talk online. But, you know, and then the ones that don't make it, boy, it, it turns interesting. The ones that where the relationships didn't work out. Well, if you get a chance, you need to check out, since we're kind of swapping uh, war stories here with, with shows you might want to check out. It's called Naked Attraction, and I believe it's a like a British type of uh, show. Premiered in 2016. Yeah, it was in it's in London. So basically, what happens is you got a host of the show, and then you have a man or a woman who is the contestant, right? And they are completely stark ass naked. And then you have these like four or five, uh, I don't even know what you call like elimination chamber cells. That these people are in, and then what they do is there's like this black veil that they drop. So they first show feet. How do you feel about feet? And it shows all their feet, and then it shows legs, and then it shows uh, pecker and hoo-haws. And how do you? And I'm not even joking with you here. They talk about 
what they look like, what they don't like, the whole nine yards. Then they go the whole, the whole way up, and the whole Monty. They they <laughs> judge nipple size and everything. Wait, and this is on TV. It's on. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, no, I mean, over, is it on TV overseas? Like absolutely. on television? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Oh, they, they, but see, that's the thing over in Europe. I mean, nakedness is not a big deal over there. True. I mean, it's not really a big deal. So, I mean, somebody somebody gets a boner, not a big deal. Now, what's that called? Naked? It's called Naked Attraction. You can find it on YouTube if you decide to check out a couple of clips. Oh. It, uh, yeah. I, I watched it, and it was... Uh, it was a spicy meatball, but uh, you ever watch Naked, uh, Naked and Afraid? Yes, we're we're people where they're are naked. The they're, yep, they put them outside in the, the, the fucking nowhere, and they got to survive. Oh my! I tried to watch it once. This poor girl, head to toe, was covered in poison ivy or poison oak or something. Oh my gosh! It, it, it was horrible watching. So I don't know if she made it. I she, she was saying she didn't think she could continue and i would i wouldn't blame her it was head to toe it was terrible so what do you do when you have poison ivy is that like tomato bath the soup or is that the whole um cream of wheat bath or whatever we were kids it was calamine lotion calamine but i thought there was a bath you take oh i don't know we didn't we just what's the bath you take megan you got poison ivy or poison sumac you have to it's like tomato soup or something or is it oatmeal or is that a skunk Mm. Skunk's this, tomato soup. You know, that don't work. We're talking about people who get... Okay. okay. Our dog. She, she's clearly looking at me like I'm crazy. Our dogs got sprayed one time by a skunk, so we bathed them in tomatoes. was tomato juice. Yes. And it, it doesn't work. You just got to let it wear off. Right. Yeah. That ended my first marriage. but. Uh, what? Being sprayed mm-hmm. by a skunk? No, the tomato soup. Why? Uh, we'll get into that a little later. Um, laced with arsenic or what? <laughs> no, but I was a fan of Campbell's. She wasn't. So, all right. So let, let's kind of get into here because we're going to do some EC dub talk as we, uh, we try to always work that in. Yeah. We should talk about wrestling, shouldn't we? We should. We should. So this week we're talking about the Sandman, also known as, uh, James Fullington. He was born Heck. on June. Or Hack, that's right. He mm-hmm. was born on June 16th of 1963. Um, he is an American semi-retired professional wrestler. Did you say He's, June 16th? June 16th of 1963. Wow. That same year, we were only four days apart. I was June 12th, 1963. He is best known for his time in ECW, where he developed a smoking and beer-drinking hardcore icon character that had the ECW Heavyweight Championship for a record five times. He also did some stints in World Championship Wrestling as Hack in TNA and in WWE. So before we kind of go into this here, um, when was the first time that you met uh, the Sandman? What was your first encounter with him? I think... In, when I went to ECW, I don't remember the exact moment, but when you walk into a building, all of a sudden you're meeting 40 new people right. within 15 minutes. What was your first impression? Do you remember what your first impression was when you met him? You thought... Well, my first impression was when I saw him on TV. Right. <clears throat> and watching him and Balls Mahoney trade chair shots, I thought, these guys are nuts. At that moment, I said, that is one company I will never work for. <laughs> so. And you have told me that story a hundred times. And what happens? Some of your most memorable moments happened in that company. Yep. 
They sure did. From 1989 to 1992, the Sandman got his start uh, in a Philadelphia-based wrestling promotion known as Tri-State Wrestling. We've talked about that before. And he was managed by, at that time, his real-life wife named Peaches. And after that, he also went ahead and performed in Memphis for Jerry Lawler as well. Let me ask you about Peaches. Have you ever had the chance to meet her? What was she like? Yeah, I met her years later. Yeah, okay. yeah, she's a real sweetheart. Nice. I couldn't believe when I can't remember who told me said that he used to do a surfer gimmick. He did. We're going to get into that. I, yep. Okay, I'll wait till we get into that. So in 1992, he arrived in Eastern Championship Wrestling, which we have mentioned on prior episodes, which then became Extreme Championship Wrestling and became a very popular cult phenomenon. He won his first ECW championship when he defeated Don Morocco on November 16th of 92, but lost it right back to him just a few days later. At the end of 1992, he would change his gimmick from Mr. Sandman to just the Sandman. So, yes, he did start out as a surfer gimmick. Do you uh, remember the surfer gimmick? I didn't remember it. I never saw it. So all I remember is seeing Sandman with the beer drinking smoking thing. And so when I first saw a picture of it, I, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, sure, there it is. Because I, I didn't believe it to begin with. There's no way he did a surfer gimmick. But there he was wearing a a wetsuit and carrying a surfboard for the rest of 1993. The Sandman would team on and off with JT Smith, who he would be featured with regularly in 94. He changed his gimmick. Uh, when ECW owner Todd Gordon suggested that he change his persona and make it a little edgier. And he decided to make it a little bit more similar to who he is as a person. And that's how the Sandman gimmick was created we've used the phrase before that the sandman has drank so much that he has pickled himself on the inside well yeah there were there were days i thought he was trying to embalm himself while he was still alive well and that and that's the question had you ever witnessed him drinking oh yeah what was that like were people just in awe of his drinking or was it one of those things where people were just kind of okay that's just that's just who he is yeah, it was just that's just who he is. Well, you know, because after the show, you'd be out drinking, you know, with the boys, and you know, then you, it was just the longevity, <laughs> you know, because back then he would show up at the building, and someone would be bringing in a picnic-sized cooler with a case of beer on ice and a gallon of vodka and a gallon of orange juice, and and then you know, of course, when on his ring entrance alone, I think he would go through six beers. That's and then, insane. And more beers after the match. So yeah, it was crazy. You know, that's, that's interesting because when we talk about like really long ring entrances, what's one name that comes up immediately for long ring entrances in your opinion, Sandman or RVD had some long ones too. He did. Uh, it, yeah. it, I guess the one I was thinking of was the undertaker. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just really, really long. Do you feel like, or there's one other person. I don't know if you would know who he is. Spider Nate Webb. I am not super familiar oh. with oh. Uh, with Spider yeah. Nate Webb, but he had he a pretty long, long ring entrance. Yeah, but he would go around and sing and dance everywhere. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you oh. worked a, a lot with with Rob. Did it? I don't want to say bother you, but did anybody ever talk about when ring entrances are that long? Come on, let's get along, let's get on with it here. There were some nights where I was thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, I was—I'm a big 
Pantera fan, but after so many times of hearing that song on a loop over and over and over for, you know, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes someday, it was crazy. Some days I would, you know, and I'd just be in the ring, just jamming to the song, like I'm at a concert or something, and just to, you know, pass the time by before he got in the ring. <laughs> but there were days I was so sick of hearing that song. Oh, man. I, I remember watching ECW television. Sometimes you would almost record or you would try to time how long some of these entrances were. And specifically with Sandman, depending on where he came from, the crowd. And like you said before, his ring entrance was more of a group experience. Is that? Would oh, you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, definitely. His ring entrance was a party. Yes. Everyone was singing. You know, it was it was it was great to see. So he would come out. He would obviously the spotlight would hit him uh, on the guitar riff. He would crack the first beer open and then pour it down his throat. And, you know, it became very iconic when he would take the beer can and smash it against his forehead multiple times. That was, I, I guess, in a way, tell me if this makes sense. The Sandman and the Ultimate Warrior were two people that had entrances that might even have been bigger than what the match itself was. Would you agree? Yeah, sometimes. I wouldn't say all the time, but sometimes because Sandman would go out there and kill himself for the fans and do some crazy stuff. Well, the Sandman subsequently um, was teaming up, like I said before, with Tommy Cairo. Then he ended up breaking up with Tommy Cairo. He was estranged from his wife which we had mentioned was Peaches, and one of his classic taglines was, life's a bitch, and then you marry one. <laughs> well, he ended up being uh, teamed up with Woman after uh, he was no longer with Peaches, and that kind of led to an angle where he was blinded. Do you remember anything about this one? Yeah, I, he really um, sold it. He wouldn't even leave the house. He stayed at home. From what I heard and understood. I guess my question is this, and we've, we've talked about this on prior episodes, but nowadays you don't, you don't find that level of kayfabe anymore. It's just, I mean, with Instagram and Facebook, I don't know. And I feel like in some ways now that a lot of people, you know, do each other's podcasts, I feel like storylines are basically just meant for TV and then things go back to real life normal when you're not on TV. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like you wish that that would stay more in character even when you're not on TV? I would say on social media, yeah. Use that to further storyline stuff. Don't There's too many guys on social media area airing all their dirty laundry. You know, even when they're fighting with each other and stuff. It, it's ridiculous. It's like if if we're not willing to try, why should we actually I don't know, because sometimes, you know, you, you wonder why aren't the fans getting into it and stuff, and they're quiet at the show and stuff. Well, if we're not willing to try and kayfabe and suspend their belief, why should they even try to get into it, you know? I think it's still worth a try. All these years, even probably, it wasn't on my retirement show, but probably even the months coming up to the end in my retirement show, if I was in a car full of heels, I would have them drop me off a few blocks from the building and I'd walk the rest of the way. So the fans wouldn't see me in a car full of wrestlers, especially if one's uh, one of the guys I'm going to wrestle. Do you think that in some ways everything comes full circle, meaning we will get back to that again? Or do you think that, because in my opinion, I think this next generation of wrestlers that are up and coming and that we are watching now on Wednesday nights, 
they seem to be they're a different breed but i i do believe that they have a little bit more and this is just my take they have that old school mentality do you find that that is the case or do you think that maybe not everybody but a few at least it all depends on who broke them in and how they broke them in cuz you know you have years ago there was hard to find a way in the business you had to know somebody and then they really broke you in hard to make sure that you really wanted it and then if you really sacrificed that much to be in it you pretty much would kayfabe you know to protect the business you were taught to protect the business but you know since then there's been hundreds of camps open up everywhere and there's a lot of people who don't care about breaking you in correctly or or protecting the business they just want your money and then send you on your way and so you know and there's a lot and a lot of those don't even train you properly so you're not even prepared really to go out and have a match but there are camps and schools out there that will train you properly and make sure you're ready and you're a professional and that you respect the business and you respect other wrestlers and you will protect the business because people like that will weed out who really don't want it and really don't have a love and a passion for it. During a match against Tommy Dreamer, Sandman's new valet woman attempted to attack Tommy on behalf uh, of Sandman when Dreamer planted a long kiss on her. After the match, Sandman was told by a woman that Dreamer was with Cairo and they were both sleeping with his wife, which was estranged from Sandman. Boy, this is getting really just twisted and tied and all kinds of stuff. Woman wanted to make Dreamer suffer, so she lured Dreamer into a match with Sandman where whoever lost would receive 10 lashes from a Singapore cane. After losing the match, Tommy took the strokes. It became clear that woman's intentions was to humiliate him and make him beg for mercy. We're looking at the Sandman. He's not with Peaches now. He's being teamed up with woman now. The Tommy Dreamer lashing situation, Mikey and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. That was a big moment, not only for ECW, but it was a big moment for the character of Tommy Dreamer to get over. Do you remember specifically when Tommy started to become more of him, starting to come into himself and not be so much just Tommy, the guy in ECW that would get beat up? Yeah, that was the night. Because before that, the fans would still crap on Tommy, and he was the babyface. But at that, you know, at that, I think that's when the business really started changing. You couldn't be that cheesy '80s babyface anymore. You had to have like a, a hard edge to you. And so that night is what really changed things for Tommy, and it really turned the tide. And the fans after that night, the fans got behind him because. He took a beating. Yeah, and if you have not seen that clip, I definitely recommend. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the WWE Network. You can you can find it, and it is as real as it gets because Sandman even says in shoot interviews he was laying them in. There was no holding back. Oh, in- yeah, and ECW, you know, that was different. You, you really, those fans were, I mean, they were there to have fun and stuff, but if it looked crappy and fake they would let you know it a lot of people had asked questions about how did the sandman get associated with the singapore cane and i think you and i do remember um that happened with uh, american teenager who went over to singapore and i believe he got in trouble oh, yeah. for vandalism right and he got yeah he got in trouble for vandalism and what had happened was his punishment obviously being in a foreign country uh the way their um justice system worked he had to receive 10 lashes so paul wanting to play off of things happening in society 
decided that that would be the way that he would introduce not only the cane, but the angle of how Tommy would be punished as well. And it worked. And it did, and it worked really well. This whole Peaches and Tommy Cairo and Tommy Dreamer, this whole Jerry Springer situation here, this was way before the Attitude Era. We've we've debated this a lot. I do believe that ECW had a lot to do with the with the insurgence of the Jerry Springer era about making things more real, making things more personal, really blurring the lines. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. Well, it was because of ECW that the whole Attitude Era started because WWF and WCW kept, you know, they were watching and they were, you'd see the same thing a week later on their show that they just saw on ECWs. So they were emulating a lot of what ECW was doing. Do you think in any ways the reason why the WWF and WCW was, I don't want to say late to the party when it came to, you know, the reality-based storylines was because they did have big time advertisers and they had a lot of money on the line where ECW and not to disparage them, but they did not have as many people financially investing in them. Therefore, you know what? We're going to try whatever they can. Well, yeah. Plus I think, um, I think Paulie saw that just the normal traditional wrestling wasn't going to last and work forever. That something new and fresh had to happen. And that's what he did. And I think, you know, like you said, maybe the larger companies were afraid of being politically incorrect at the time. And when ECW was doing it and building a lot of momentum, they they, they know took notice and went, hey, they're onto something here. Do you think, and obviously this is all going to be speculation, but do you think advertisers have a decent say-so if they feel the product is going in one way or another, if they are big investors in it? Or do you think that... Oh, they yeah. either decide to invest or they pull out. It depends on how much money's involved. Don't you think that can make that difficult as well? I mean, I understand to a certain degree answering to shareholders if you're a publicly traded company. But the advertisers, are they going to have a say so as far as what's getting booked? Oh, I'm sure. If it's, you know, way or it, it it's well, I don't know if they'll have a say so. They can threaten to take away and say, "Well, we're going to stop advertising. We're going to take away our, you know, our advertising dollars and put it somewhere else. That's how they have their say so. So at the end of the day, you know, and, and this is all contingent on the company itself, but right. you know, you, you got to be in line with what your advertisers are wanting to portray their product as as well. You don't have to. It depends if you're willing to lose that money or not. Well, if it's substantial, you, you right. probably need to kind of play it a little closer to the chest then. Right. But then if, you know, there's a lot there's a lot in play if you have a lot of other sponsors that are okay with it and are going to stick with you. So, you know, it just depends on each individual situation. As we had mentioned before about uh, Kayfabe and the, the storyline that was happening between Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. So this was the buildup. It was in late 1994. The Sandman was blinded after a lit cigarette uh, was pushed into his eye during an I Quit match by Tommy Dreamer. The whole blind situation, we've seen this play out before with Jake Roberts and the model Rick Martell. Do you remember that angle? Yes. What was your thoughts on the way that was handled? I actually thought that was done really well. Oh, for its time, yeah, but the the blindfold match was... <laughs> that was the shits. It, Mikey, yeah, it Mikey, had a lot to be desired, I'll tell you that. Mikey defends it to the nth well, degree, and he, he I, keeps I guess, telling me. 
rewatch it. Now it would not work, but I, I'd have to go back and watch and see how the fans were reacting. Yeah, I would agree. I think at the end of the day, you have to look at the backdrop of where you are at the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I think when it was done with Jake and Rick Martell, I think it worked. Was it a little hokey? Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're looking at it in hindsight, sure, it was a little hokey. The blindfolds, now we watch the video, we see it back, they could clearly see through that. But, but the if great part was how they would point. Yes. If they got close to the guy, how the crowd would let you know. Yes. So it had a lot of uh, audience participation. Which is really good because at the end of the day, what do you always tell us? You're looking for crowd reaction. Right. Yeah, you want audience participation. In 1995, the Sandman challenged Shane Douglas for the ECW championship but was attacked by his own valet woman who helped Shane Douglas retain the title. In a rematch at Hostile City Showdown in April of 95, the Sandman faced Douglas again. During the course of the match, Woman turned on now overconfident Douglas, helping Sandman become the ECW champion. Um, it looks like Woman had a very big involvement. She was a, a main player in a lot of the things that happened in ECW. Would you agree? Yeah, it sounds like it. I wasn't there at the time, but it sounds like it, yeah. Speaking of woman, and, you know, I'm sure that we're going to do, you know, an episode and a conversation about her sometime because she rightfully deserves it. For her contribution she's made, oh, she's definitely. she's right up there with Sherry Martell, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. What was your interactions with woman? What were your thoughts on her? We, we've heard nothing but positive things about her when uh, when you hear people talk. But what was your interactions with her? Oh, she was awesome. She was always nice. She's a sweetheart. Don't have a bad thing to say about her. I don't. I haven't met anyone who does. Yeah, and that's what I've come across. I've I watch a lot of shoot interviews, and everyone has really sung her praises. How much of a professional she was, and uh, uh, yeah, that's professional. That's <laughs> that's right. I'm losing my touch here. <laughs> the Sandman would then have a few with Cactus Jack, which lasted throughout 1995 and culminated in a series of matches involving barbed wire. Uh, in one particular Texas death match, which was in February of 95, the Sandman was hit with a heavy metal frying pan, giving Fullington a legitimate concussion. Throughout the remainder of the match, Fullington was visibly disoriented and forgot the scripted ending of the match several times. Cactus Jack hit the Sandman with his signature double underhook DDT, and again the Sandman instinctively kicked out. This went on for several minutes before Cactus Jack finally delivered a legitimate maneuver, hoping it would keep the Sandman down. The referee also had to resort into making the 10 count a little bit quicker. What was the legitimate maneuver? It, I was looking at this. It doesn't say. It just says legitimate maneuver, hoping it okay. would keep him down. Now, if if you haven't seen this match, it is on... I can't even fucking talk. Uh, <laughs> compilation. Compilation. Uh, Monster Factory. Um, <laughs> com- compilation. It's uh, Foley's Greatest Hits and Misses. Okay. And it's like a three-DVD set, and it's fantastic. But I remember watching that, and Mick does the intro to all of his matches. And he gives you kind of a a brief rundown of, you know, what led up to this and what happened and et cetera, et cetera. He said that he was knocked out within the first five minutes of the match. And he says, he doesn't even know how he continued, but every time he would do something to him, he just kept getting up. How do you, how do you wrap your brain around that as a performer? Have you ever gotten to the point where sometimes your body just kind of goes into autopilot? I don't know. I was never knocked out. 
I was put out once, but it was the finish of the match. Right. But, uh, I don't. I've had other people get a concussion and knocked loopy, and things were going wrong. But and I didn't know it because they didn't. They didn't know it either. Right. But, but you kind of sense something's wrong. Well, at that point in time, does it ever get to the point where, if you know somebody is is seriously not with it, right, and you know as their as their coworker, let's be honest here, you know. Uh-huh. And the referee, okay, we have to stop this. This is not good. Like, this is bad. How do you remedy a fucked up situation when you know someone's legitimately just out on Dream Street? I guess, I mean, I think when it's happened in my matches, it's usually been tags and usually get the guy out of there and get the other guy in there. But uh, otherwise, I really haven't experienced it, except for one time where I actually, on the finish, I had to pull the guy on top of me to pin me. <laughs> oh, my God. let's get the hell out of here so because he was supposed to go over and things were going wrong and i i knew something was wrong i didn't know what was going on so i finally i just for the and it was going home by you know near the finish so on the finish i actually just pulled him on top of me because the roll-up was getting all screwed up somehow october 25th i believe 95 the sandman lost his title to our beloved Mikey Whipwreck in a ladder match. Yay! Three days later, Sandman teamed teamed up with television champion Two Cold Scorpio to win the ECW Tag Team Championship from the Public Enemy. In December, the Sandman regained his World Heavyweight title by defeating Mikey Whipwreck and Steve Austin in a three-way dance. So, Mikey beats the Sandman. And I remember asking Mikey this question, and... It's one of those deals where, from a fan's perspective, when you look at Mikey's career, and he he is humble, and I know we joke around about a lot of things, but he is humble about this. To go from being the ring crew guy to being the beat-up guy or the jobber, then to getting a character and a persona, and then elevating to the world champion. I mean, is that not the epitome of paying your dues and working your way up the corporate ladder? Oh, yeah, sure is, You know, because you're not going to be given it if you, you don't deserve it. Right. That's incredible. So what was your take? I know we've talked about this many, many months ago about ladder matches, and we just watched one on the last AEW pay-per-view. Ladder matches, let me ask you this question. Those ladders are not gimmicked, correct? They That's that's legit straight from the store. Right. Yes. That that There's no way, shape, or form that you can get around not getting hurt. Do you, well, do you, do you almost go into that match realizing I'm going to come out a little worse for wear? I don't try and think about it that way. Just try and come up with calculated risks and go out there and do it. If you think you're going to get hurt, that's when something really bad is going to happen. Because you're you probably overthinking it. You just got to go out there and do it. I saw Darby Allen jump off the top of it, and I literally, like when I saw him stand at the top, I literally started sweating. Oh, I was, you and me both. I was like, oh, please no, please no, please don't hurt yourself. I know. And it was a damn good ladder match. If you guys have not seen it, please, please go ahead and, and buy it. You can, I think you can still get it. Great match, but it just, it scares you because, you know, we've seen the Hardys and we've seen Edge and Christian and the Dudleys and what they've done. But oh, yeah. What's scary is when they drag out that ladder, that looks like it's 18 feet tall. Well, that's the other thing. I've never seen that at a store. I, I have no <laughs> idea. Me neither. <laughs> I've never gone to Lowe's to get my paver stones and been like, oh, yeah, there's that one. The well, Olympic style one. Some tall ones there. I don't know. But yeah, never. Uh. Instead of being, you know, it just looks brutal, in my opinion. Um, it still is. 
Oh God. Because you know, you're it's just flesh bone and flesh just landing on steel. There's gotta be a better way. I mean, they earned their money that night when they put themselves through that. There's no oh, doubt yeah. about that. Oh yeah. And Mikey's talked about it. I mean, he's talked about not only this match in particular with the Sandman, but it it really takes years off of your career. You know, they say you only have so many bumps in your body and you want to, you know, try to manage those as best as possible. But in a ladder match, it, it, it almost seems like you, you really can't. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're you're adding a few extra check marks on the bump card. The Sandman would then get embroiled in a feud with Raven. And I think this is one of the, the feuds that I remember the most when it comes to the Sandman because I think I was always drawn to the Raven character. I always felt like he had this, I don't want to say cult branch Davidian, David Koresh feel to him, but would you agree he was kind of like that, that, that oh, character? Yeah. yeah, he did, you know, sound, especially when he had the flock, he was kind of like a cult leader. But he did it so well, and I think that, you know, and I think we're going to talk about Raven in an upcoming episode, but but Scott Levy's another guy who has done a lot. He was a producer in WWE. He was a host. He was a talent. I mean, he has done a lot of different things, but we're going to get to the part here, which is um, probably the most unsettling and uncomfortable aspect of it. Going ahead and putting uh, the Sandman on a cross. That uh, That in itself didn't go over well at all, even with the hardcore ECW fans. Um, from all accounts of what I've read, everybody was just in a hush silence because that wasn't hardcore, that wasn't cool. Just sacrilegious. Yeah, that bothered a lot of people, and I can completely understand that. During the feud, Raven aligned himself with, which we now know is Sandman's ex-wife, Lori Fullington, and brainwashed her and the Sandman's real-life son into joining his cult, turning them against his father. Raven psychologically attacked the Sandman by having his son deny his relationship with his father. How much of this do you think was between Raven and Sandman, or do you think Paul had a big involvement in this, or do you think Paul kind of was hands-off when it came to these guys creating their own No, I'm sure you know, Paul knew. Who knows? Maybe some of it was Paul's idea. Well, once again, no matter how you want to look at it, good, bad, or indifferent, I think 99.999% of us all agree it was it was in poor taste. It, it, it did not need to happen. Um, oh, the, the crucifixion, yeah. The crucifixion did not need to happen. It was it was not only the crucifixion angle of it, but it was they, they tied his feet together, his arms were stretched out, and I believe they put a barbed wire crown on him. It was just kind of the um, – eh, I mean it, it, that does not age well at all. Right. I mean that's right up there with – I mean that's worse than Katie Vick in my opinion, but the Katie Vick thing was bad too, uh, oh, which was, yeah, that, was that, that made no sense to me whatsoever. Well, especially when your main demographic is children to sell them all their toys and lunchboxes and keychains and whatever. Wow. Um, if we look in the career from 1996 and beyond, uh, the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer became more uh, prominent ECW figures, uh, along with Sabu and RVD, the Dudley Boys, obviously, before everybody ended up defecting over to the World Wrestling Federation. Um, in 1996, there was an In Your House pay-per-view that was happening in Philadelphia, and Paul and Vince came together to work with one another. In a work shoot, 
Do you remember this? Do you remember hearing about the fact that they were trying to get ECW over, help them? WWE was also struggling at the time. They were hoping that an injection of some controversy with ECW might help business as well. Do you remember this? What year was that? I believe it was in 96. Oh, oh, that was right. I went there in, I think, the fall of 97, like September of 97. So I don't know, really remember much of it. Well, the situation was that no one else was clued into what was supposed to be happening. Nobody backstage, none of the producers. Um, It was Vince, Paul, and the ECW guys jumped the rail. They started attacking the WWF guys. I remember it now. There was a there was a classic interview that was done with Gerald Briscoe. Yeah, said that he wasn't even clued in on what was happening. That they they kept it that tight lipped, and he said that he was so infuriated, he and the rest of the guys in the locker room were ready to run out there and start in a legitimate brawl. Are you serious? But you know what? Sometimes you have to do that to keep things hush hush, so things are a surprise. There's too many things that get leaked out. I mean, I agree with you. I think that – isn't that the whole aspect of what makes things interesting is when you don't know what's going to happen? Uh, yes. I mean, if everything was pretty much laid out and you knew what was going to happen from moment to moment, I, I think that kills the spontaneity. And I think that's where Eric Bischoff did a really good job with Nitro was it was that whole – you know, it was unpredictable. You know, you never knew what was going to happen. And – I think it was Jim Ross who made a comment that he even said he didn't know when John Moxley was going to be debuting, and he said he didn't want to know anything that day. He wanted to call it as and feel the emotion as it was happening, and I think that's the best way. Would you agree? Yes, that is the best way. Otherwise, just you don't feel get, it. You don't, like you said, you don't get genuine emotion. And, and I think that too many times you get the canned responses. And I think if you don't know what's going to happen, I think that. The, the audience, they feel that. Well, if you know what's going to happen, what's the incentive to watch it then? In September of 98, Fullington joined World Championship Wrestling and signed a three-year contract that was believed to be about $200,000 annually. That was reported by the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer. And he later debuted under his nickname, Hack. Now, the story of why he was named Hack was because uh, due to trademark and intellectual property, they were not allowed to call him the Sandman, um, even though I believe the story was backstage. Dusty Rhodes and Eric Bischoff had said, "Listen, there is a company. I believe it was like a concrete company out in California that's called the Sandman." Oh. And he said, "No." He says, "I've been calling myself this in wrestling for for years now. That's what I'm known by." So they went on and back and forth and what they could call him, what they could call him, and. They finally said, well, what else do you go by? And he says, since I've been very young, he goes, I've been going by the nickname of Hack. So they went ahead and stuck with it. So guys like the Sandman, Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, Raven, you name them, they uh, all kind of started to flock over to WCW. Now, one thing I want to bring up here is, here's the problem I have as a wrestling fan. The ECW guys didn't seem like they were the same ECW guys when they were in WCW, nor did it feel like they were the same people when they went to the WWF. Now, do you think that's because there were stricter and tighter uh, producers backstage and that they tried to keep the reins a little bit tighter as far as the way they acted, what they said, what they did, and that eventually hurt them? Definitely. I'll guarantee all their hands were tied 
Yeah, I just never felt like it was the same. I didn't. At Spring Stampede of 1999, Hack lost to Bam Bam Bigelow in a hardcore match. And then falling at the Great American Bash of 1999, Hack defeated Brian Knobs yet in another hardcore match. And a month later at Bash of the Beach 99, Hack competed in a Junkyard Invitational, uh, which our good buddy Mr. Mikey Whiprick was in as well, which eventually was won by Fit Finley. Fullington was released by WCW in September of 99 as part of his cost-cutting measures with its new executive vice president, Bill Bush. I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways ECW guys, and I'm not including you on this because you are – you're a little bit different, meaning you kind of fit in wherever you go. You're not you, – you can go hardcore, but you can also be a lucha libre style. You can do – uh, Japanese wrestling, you can do a lot of different things, but did you ever feel like some of these ECW guys were, no matter where they go, unfortunately, they're going to get typecasted? Um, it, it depends on what the promoter wants to do with you. Because if the, you know, I don't, it, and I think a lot of them were signed just to try and hurt ECW. Because ECW was, get, you know, was really gaining ground fast. It was like wildfire. But, uh, so I think a lot of the guys they were signed just to hurt ECW, even though they didn't, you know, and they still didn't have any plans on, you know, turning them into big worldwide superstars. Periodically, they'd be all of a sudden here comes another talent raid, you know. Well, I think it's interesting because after his departure from WCW, when he got released from his contract, he did end up returning back to ECW later in 1999. So when they were doing the whole TNN thing with the, the, the Nashville network, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Yeah. That that's never really seemed to catch fire. And, and we've heard a lot of stories from interviews. Paul has given that TNN never promoted them. Nope. TNN never did anything to market the show. Nope. Didn't do anything to let the audience know when they were on. Nope. And, and what we were, what we were to TNN was an experiment to see how wrestling would do on their network. And with little or no advertising or promoting whatsoever, we were their number one show. So what did they do? They turned around and offered Vince $110 million to come to their network. It just feels sleazy in my opinion. It was very, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, all the guys and gals work so hard to get on a major network and you do sign a major network deal and you have a good product and yet you're just basically a glorified guinea pig because TNN's basically negotiating bringing in WWE and WWE did end up leaving USA Network after their contract expired and went to TNN for a period of time before Mm -hmm. they left TNN and went back to USA so there is no loyalty anywhere when it comes to corporate America but I think what what they did to ECW was a crime. I mean, it was yeah. just, it was a shame. It was, it was a shame. Why would you take something that was your number one show with no advertising, no help whatsoever, and then just toss it to the side? Well, the next chapter with the Sandman's career, I think you will be familiar with as well. And that was a stint in XPW, which is extreme pro wrestling. Uh, a lot of ECW guys headed on over to XPW. Uh, they had the XPW King of the Deathmatch Championship. And some of the guys that went over there from 
ECW. I mean, obviously you had Raven who went over there. Justin Credible went over there. New Jack went over there. Uh, Perry Saturn went over there. I believe that even Joey Styles went over there as well for a period of time. Did Axel or Balls go over there? I want to say probably Balls did for a short period of time. Okay. Now, what was your what was your experience with XPW? Was it just a situation of, hey, I'm just kind of moving through here? Or did you feel that it had an ECW feel to it? It had an ECW feel to it, but it really didn't it didn't have regular tv or anything like that so it just to me it just felt like another indie show so it's just all right here's another payday and i was you know i'm glad they used me as much as they did but it was i didn't see uh you know a long future in it while in xpw sandman also spent some time in propane pro wrestling promotion not to be confused with propane, what you use for your gas grill. His most notable match was a three-way dance with Sabu and New Jack. It was also featured as a bonus match on the three PW DVD Blood Brawls and Broads. Wow. <laughs> wow. Blood Brawls and Broads. Yep, keep it classy. Uh, from 2003 uh, on, the Sandman had a small tenure in what was known as TNA, Total Nonstop Action, uh, before rejoining his former ECW stable of Just Incredible, Raven, New Jack, Perry Saturn. Do you remember a little bit about EV2? And I think I might be jumping the gun here a little bit on my uh, my timeline here. Um, I remember it, when they brought them all in, yeah. Yeah, EV2 and TNN. Raven, they built up a really big, uh, good feud between Raven and Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. Right. I always feel like, in a lot of ways, people have always tried to emulate what ecw had but I, I never feel like anybody ever did it right and i never really felt like it ever came off as genuine would you agree no nowadays about the the closest thing i see is i mean as, as far as the fans because the fans are what made it you know they were there to have a great time and a party would be like aew or gcw have you been to gcw i have not been to gcw oh. but yeah but the, as far as the fans and then their their reactions to the product and stuff, and you can tell they're there to have a, just to have a party, and that's the way the fans for GCW are, and that's the way the fans for AEW are. They're just there to have a great time, no matter what. And I do want to stand corrected here. It looks like the EV2 uh, was in 2010. They did have a uh, a prior ECW kind of reunion uh, in the early 2000s. But uh, EV2, I stand corrected, did happen in uh, in 2010. But you know what? At the, at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't like they were the wrestling business was ready to give up on ECW because what happened? Well, WWE ended up having the whole one night stand situation. So, what was your take on when you heard that? You know, they were wanting to do one night stand. What was your take on that? Had anyone reached out to you, or how did you hear about One Night Stand, or that it was even going to happen? Well, Dreamer, I think, I believe, reached out to me and asked if, you know, because I, I was at TNA, and so was Raven, and asked uh, if they thought that TNA would let us do the pay-per-view. And I said, well, I'll ask. And they were going to let us, TNA was. And so Dreamer got back to me probably a week later or something and said that uh, WWE wasn't going to use us be because they were afraid we'd try and pull something on live pay-per-view. 
And I said, wow, apparently they don't know me that well. And he says, they probably don't even remember you working here. <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> and he's probably right. You know? Wow. Moving on towards the uh, towards the the twilight of the storyline in November of 2018, as we fast forward, uh, the Sandman lost to Silas Young on a Ring of Honor weekly television show. And in February of 2019, the Sandman teamed up with Tommy Dreamer to face Davey Boy Smith Jr. and Brian Brian Pillman Jr. at MLW. They lost the match after Dreamer was pinned. Also during 2019, the Sandman made various sporadic TV appearances. Uh, for a match in TNA, now known as Impact Wrestling, uh, involving Killer Cross and Eddie Edwards. Uh, as far as what he is doing since then, he does a lot of conventions. He does a lot of autograph signings, stuff like that. I do know that he and Just Incredible and Shane Douglas have been trying to put together a tour. I don't know if you've heard about this on social media, of telling stories from their time in ECW, but... Due to the coronavirus, obviously things have been uh, delayed and postponed, but we hope that their tour quickly gets back on track after things yeah. uh, reopen yeah, back I, up. I hope that it works out for them. I hope they can take that on tour because they're yeah, – I mean the stories from ECW, you can't even write this stuff. It's just – it's that crazy. It's one of these things where you know <sighs> – ECW, and, and, and I've said this before, and I probably sound like a broken record, but it's one of those things that didn't last a long time. You should be happy that you got to see it. If you missed it, thank God you can still watch it on the network and on YouTube. But during that time, it was definitely something to see. It was something so counterculture, so different. wasn't cartoony. It was real-life situations with husbands and wives and children, and it seemed real, and I think that's what appealed to a lot of people. It was very physical. It was, in a lot of ways, real. Man. Well, that is going to close the door on our uh, episode here on The Sandman. Granted, we just kind of went down through some feuds that he had throughout his career. I'm sure at some point in time I'm going to be doing a longer, in-depth episode on The Sandman as well, but let me ask you this. Any other final thoughts on the Sandman? Any funny stories? Any funny moments that you had with him? Oh, God. I, I probably already mentioned them on our earlier episodes, but I just always lo- I always cracked up at his his pickup line was always, Yo, girl! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. That is no, awesome. I love Hack. I love He's... You know, never a dull moment and hilarious. Hey, any guy that can code in the back of a car, get dropped off at the front door of a hospital, everyone goes on to the show. He ends up getting a shot of adrenaline in his chest and still makes it to the arena for the main event. He's definitely legendary in my book. Oh, yeah. That's hardcore. That is. Guys, if you're enjoying what we are doing, please, by all means, I ask you to go on over to social media, specifically Twitter, and you can follow us. I am at Mike Freeland. Jerry is it. Wow. It's Jerry Lynn. I always get <laughs> tongue-tied on that one. At it's, it's Jerry, Jerry Lynn. Lynn. Yes. And then Mikey Whipwreck is Mikey Whipwreck underscore. You can follow the podcast itself at FRM Podcast. We are available anywhere podcasts are made available to you. So basically anywhere you go, you can find us. 
as we have uh, Front Row Material, obviously this show, which drops every Wednesday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the MLW Radio Network. Mikey and I do the false finish on Fridays with yours truly in your ears as I do yet another episode of Overbooked, the extremely unauthorized story of ECW. What about Sabu's book? Yeah, we're going to get to that. (laughs) We're going to get to that. My God. You know what? There's one place that you, me, and Mikey absolutely need to go when we all get together. If we do a a live show or not. You know what restaurant that's going to have to be? Red Lobster. Red Lobster. (laughs) Oh, God. That never gets old. Guys, thank you so much. We do appreciate it. And we will catch you next time on Front Row Material. Stops.